1: Yes, indeed it is, and a good morning to you. Thanks for being with us. Seven minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock, and we are underway on a Wednesday. It is the first morning of the seventh month of the year of our Lord, 2020. We will celebrate America's independence on Saturday. Will we celebrate it in 2021? Will we still commemorate the founding of this great republic in 2022? How long will it take... If Democrats win the White House and the Senate and have unchecked power to wreak as much havoc on a nation that they abhor as they can possibly imagine, how long will it take for this country to stop celebrating what Democrats believe is a tribute to white supremacy? I know that's kind of a grim way to start the program today, but that is literally what they are saying. Democrats are condemning a planned fireworks spectacle, celebrating and commemorating the founding of this great country on Independence Day 2020 at Mount Rushmore. Saying that this is an event that glorifies white supremacy. The official uh, Twitter account of the Democratic National Committee raised eyebrows when it accused President Trump of glorifying white supremacy after he scheduled a Fourth of July celebration, including fireworks at Mount Rushmore. The president is set to attend the display at the iconic landmark that honors George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Theodore Roosevelt, and Abraham Lincoln. But a tweet from the Democrats' official page took issue with the president holding events there. Trump has disrespected native communities time and again, they wrote. He's attempted to limit their voting rights and blocked critical pandemic relief. Now he's holding a rally glorifying white supremacy at Mount Rushmore, a region once sacred to tribal communities. Now I'm going to pause there and let that kind of marinate for just a moment. I want you to think about what the Democrats see Mount Rushmore as. They don't see Mount Rushmore as a tribute to American greatness. They don't see Mount Rushmore as a tribute to America's revolution and its founding. They don't see it as a tribute to America's emancipation of uh, captured slaves and a declaration of equality for all. They don't see it as a tribute to American exceptionalism. They see it as... A sign of white supremacy. How come there are no African-American faces carved into a mountainside? Why aren't there Native faces, Native American faces, uh, carved into a mountainside? Why are all four of the faces on, on Mount Rushmore straight males? Why are there no women? Why are there no uh, homosexuals? Why are there no transsexuals or transgenders? This is just a celebration of the patriarchy and of white supremacy, which are the evils upon which this disgusting republic was founded. Now, I'm not giving you hyperbole here. I am not giving you some radio host's analysis of this. I'm using their words, maybe paraphrasing them somewhat, but using their words. They see a celebration of America's independence, which is our birth, Independence Day, July 4th, 1776. They see a celebration of that day as being a celebration of evil. They think that the faces of Washington, Jefferson, Roosevelt, and Lincoln represent racism represent white supremacy if you cannot see the monument as being just pro-american and pro-american history and pro-american glory and pro-american liberty if you can't see it as that if what you see when you see those faces is white supremacy and racism and hatred then you can't see the country as anything other than a racist place of hate It's not possible to see it any other way. They're coming for statues. We knew that. Several of us wondered if the statues are going to be followed up by other attacks. Sure enough, they started coming for religious symbols. Black Lives Matter, one of the Black Lives Matter's founders and leaders and most prominent voices belongs to a white guy named Sean King who's, who has uh, essentially uh, stolen uh, African-American identity and pretending to be a black male. But Sean King said, get the stained glass, uh, sta- stained glass windows in churches out of there. Smash them. Take down statues or symbols of Jesus, which is a symbol of white supremacy as they have co-opted Jesus' race as a Middle Easterner to be white. And yes, sure enough, well, there are four giant statues on a mountainside in South Dakota. And they've got to go too. President Trump has said, bring it. As a matter of fact, President Trump is is deploying special federal unit members to protect monuments, not necessarily just Mount Rushmore, but the others that the Liberal, lawless, America hating anarchists have targeted over the July 4th weekend this weekend amid vandalism fears. DHS is deploying a federal, a special federal unit across the country to protect federal monuments. And statues from a a possible fresh wave of vandalism. The upcoming 4th of July holiday weekend has the potential for increased disruptive activity at specific locations across the country that could threaten our personnel and the federal facilities and property they protect, says a soon-to-be-released memo penned by Acting DHS Secretary Chad Wolf. DHS will be going forward and we will be forward-leaning in preparing to protect federal facilities and property. And I think that's important language, forward-leaning, meaning they're not just going to sit back and wait if they are going to sniff uh, potential attacks out uh, and stop them. Rapid deployment teams from the Protecting American Communities Task Force, packed. And consisting of law enforcement officers specially trained in areas such as crowd control and riot control will be dispatched to Portland, Seattle, and Washington, D.C., where most of the threats have been made. uh, Additional RDTs will be dispatched regionally throughout the country so that they can be flown into any other area within a few hours should unrest spark up in other cities around the country. This is on top of the FPS, Federal Protective Service, presence being ramped up higher than usual for a weekend in response to potential challenges. So President Trump has said... Bring it, do your worst, and we will arrest you, and we will stop you. And, oh, by the way, we will uh, set off fireworks. We will blast them into the sky as if they were the bombs bursting in air over the ramparts of Fort Henry uh, 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 back in 1776. That is what the president has said. President Donald J. Trump, my friends, is literally the last chance that we have to save this country from complete and utter destruction, and I don't mean that like the entire country is going to be a, a you know pile of burning buildings from one coast to the other. Don't get me wrong, but I mean the destruction of what the United States is. If Joe Biden wins, you will not have Independence Day in 2021. You will not have it in 2022. You will not, at some point in his first term in a Biden presidency, especially if he chooses someone like Kamala Harris as his running mate, and in a Chuck Schumer-led Senate with a Nancy Pelosi-led House, they will wipe out all vestiges of the American Revolution and the America that was founded, built, and protected over the course of her history they will wipe it out because they will say that America in 1776 was still a slave-holding nation America in 1776 when the when the country was founded was founded by people who owned slaves and they will choose pick and choose who and what they will allow to be honored and whether or not the United States herself will be honored as a free republic and they will do this despite the fact that people of color People who would be racial minorities if they came to the United States. People with brown skin or black skin or, or whatever their ethnicities may be. They would be um, racial and ethnic minorities when they come to the United States. They're still risking their lives to get here. They don't want to deconstruct the United States. They don't want the United States to stop being what it has always been, which is the greatest beacon of goodness and of fairness and of freedom in the history of humanity. Through all of her growing pains, which every civilization has ever had, we always come out stronger and better and more free because of them. And people around the world recognize it. And they want to come here and live the quote-unquote American dream, while people who are here are doing everything they can to destroy the images of the American dream and to decry them as being a tribute to white supremacy. Donald Trump is literally the last chance that we have. Re-electing him is the only thing that will delay what might be the inevitable. But at least we can do it in the short term, delay the literal deconstruction of the United States as we know it, caving into fear, caving into uh, the, the radical anarchist, uh, anarchistic movements such as Black Lives Matter and, of course, uh, Antifa and the uh, Revolutionary Communist Party, Revolutionary Abolitionists and all the rest, caving into them, allowing them to make demands and allowing them to guide policy going forward. America will never, ever, ever be what it once was if we don't stop Joe Biden and the liberal Democrats from taking over both houses of the Congress. If you'd like a small taste of what this will look like, take a look at New York City right now. New York City is run in a microcosm, the same way that a Biden and all-Democrat-controlled Congress would run the country. Bill de Blasio is the executive, and the city council is all entirely Democrat. And tilting to the will, bending their knee rather to the will of the rage mob, screaming for racial uh, justice, which, by the way, does not mean the same thing as racial equality. It means racial superiority as payback for what they believe to be uh, racial inequities of the past. And certainly there have been racial inequities of the past, but they think that the best way to remedy that is not equality, but to flip the script. So Bill de Blasio... And the City Council of New York agreed to allow Black Lives Matter to run the city's policies. And yesterday, they uh, approved an $88.1 billion budget deal with Mayor de Blasio that slashed spending on the New York Police Department by $1.5 billion. $1.5 billion. That is going to trim the size of the police force by about 1,200 officers in a city that is right now facing an extraordinary spike in violent crime. Because police officers, while the same in number, are not allowed to police. Not proactively, shootings are about double what they were at this time a year ago. And the response to that is to cut 1,200 police officers and $1.5 billion from the force. Somebody explain to me how that makes that city better. How does it make it safer for the general population, the general public? How is that city now safer? Crime is spiking, and we're going to remove the crime fighters from the streets. Look at that in a microcosm. Look at New York City, which at seven eight uh, million p- uh, people already um, is is bigger than a lot of countries around the globe. So let's look at it as it at its own nation, as its own nation, its leader, its president, its dictator, Bill De Blasio, uh, propped up by his liberal Democratic City Council, in charge, and their response is to let Black Lives Matter and, and Antifa drive their policy. And destroy their police department. Magnify that now on a macro level to the rest of this country. Bill de Blasio, replaced by Joe Biden. The City Council of New York, replaced by a Schumer-led Senate. And, of course, the continuing Pelosi-led House. And, and, and now multiply that by a factor of, of a million. And that is what we will have across this country. Alright, I've got a lot more to get into. We're gonna to talk to Gary Wolski and Jay McDonald of the Ohio FOP about all of this coming up at 935. We're gonna to talk to the Speaker of the House of the State of Ohio, uh, Larry Householder. He'll be on with us at ten ten this morning, and I invite you to be here too. Two one six six-nine zero one zero nine four five, Triple Eight two eight one eleven ten. The Bob Branson Authority right
0: Radio.
1: Thanks for being here. Um, two Tulsa, Oklahoma police officers were shot during a traffic stop. You probably already heard. Uh, maybe you didn't hear the update. One of them has died as a result of that. Tulsa police officer was shot in the head during a traffic uh, during a simple traffic stop. And this is again. You, you, will there be protests? Will there be riots? Will there be looting? Will there be something to express the outrage? At the loss of a police officer in a blatant, cowardly attack during a simple traffic stop? No, there won't be. Traffic stop early Monday afternoon. Died yesterday afternoon. Sergeant Craig Johnson sustained multiple gunshot wounds, including a critical wound to his head. After undergoing surgery, his prognosis did not improve. He was placed on life support, taken off life support at 119 p.m. yesterday. A decision made with his family, or by his family. Prior to uh, Johnson's death, police chief Wendell Franklin awarded him with the Tulsa Police Department Purple Heart for injuries sustained in the line of duty. Officer Arash Zark- Zarkishan initially uh, stopped David Ware at 3.30 a.m. June 29th when a scuffle ensued. Officer said that is when Ware pulled out a gun and fired multiple times, wounding both of the officers before fleeing the scene. Now... I don't have all of the very specifics about the scuffle prior to the officers being shot, but I can tell you this from seeing videos over and over and over again since George Floyd's terrible incident, since the murder of George Floyd, and I will call it what it is, but I've seen countless numbers of examples of police officers refusing to aggressively subdue and take down a resistant suspect they are trying to treat them with kid gloves put a pillow on the ground before you lay them down there uh and or don't even lay them down at all ask them politely to put their hands behind their backs and if they don't ask them nicer and if they don't ask them again even more nicely and if they don't they try to fight don't try to actually subdue them just put up token resistance because you are on camera and you're going to be going to prison so i didn't see this particular incident but I know from seeing enough of them, what happened here? There was a scuffle. The cops were afraid to use all of the force that they had to to subdue this guy. And then he pulls out a gun and shoots them. This is the new normal. You got cops being cut in New York, in Minneapolis, in Los Angeles, in Portland, around the country, they're doing exactly what they said in defunding or underfunding police. You got cops on the job who are afraid to use force because they're going to, they're going to be uh, either put in jail or up on charges. And instead they end up dead or, or seriously wounded. That was just one example. That was Tulsa to say nothing of the ambush of officers in Tampa at the end of last week. So we got underfunded police departments. we got cops being assaulted, being beaten, being shot. And what do we hear from the left? Not a word. Not a word. What was his name? You don't know the name I just told you because it's not plastered on the front of every single newspaper. It's not on the lead story of every uh, um, American uh, television news program the way George Floyd's was. Sergeant Craig Johnson, you'll never hear that name again until I talk about it with, with Gary Wolski and Jay McDonald after the news break here. You'll never hear his name again. Nobody gives a crap if a police officer is killed in, an, in a horrible way. Nobody cares. They only care if the rare rogue police officer like the idiot in Minneapolis does something indefensible and abhorrent and illegal. The way they did to jo- or the, uh, uh, Chauvin did to George Floyd. Nobody cares. You're never going to hear Craig Johnson's name again. And sadly, you're probably not going to see too many police officers again. Because your 911 calls are going to go unanswered or unresponded to because the police force numbers are going to be so low. Both from underfunding and from a lack of people applying for the academy. Because this is what the American anarchistic left has brought you. Back after the news. (laughs) All right, 936, we continue on AM 1420, The Answer. Thank you so much for being with us. Uh, I want to bring back to the program now a couple of guys that I uh, I like to talk to whenever we have matters of policing. Uh, they need to be discussed. Uh, they know a lot about it, Jay McDonald and Gary Wolski. Gary Wolski is the president of the Ohio Fraternal Order of Police. Jay McDonald is the immediate past uh, chair uh, president of the Ohio uh, Fraternal Order of Police. Uh, guys, thanks for coming on with us. How are you? Great, Bob. Thanks for having me. Uh, of course. Uh, thank, thanks, guys. Um, uh, Gary, we'll go with you, since you are currently in charge uh, of the Ohio FOP. We'll start with you, and Jay will follow with this. I. um I made some suppositions in the uh, segment that I did prior to bringing you guys on. Uh, uh, it's my belief, even though I don't have any uh, any evidence of it. I just read the, the account of what led to the uh, death of Sergeant Craig Johnson and the shooting of uh, of uh, Officer Zarkishan in Tulsa, uh, Oklahoma. Um, they said there was a scuffle uh, prior to the individual uh, uh, who was being stopped in the traffic stop, David Ware, pulling out his gun and shooting the officer's my supposition is that they they tried to restrain him but probably did not use all of the physical strength or force or fighting techniques or control techniques that they have available to them or that they were trained with because they were afraid of being too rough and then being accused of police brutality, and it cost one of them their lives. Um, that is my guess, and that's based on a number of other police encounters with suspects that we have seen on video in the last month since george floyd so gary wolski um is is this probably what you think is going on here cops are afraid to use force and they're and it's costing them their lives
2: absolutely i agree with that assessment
1: completely uh tell me what this is going to do to to police i mean you know seriously i mean policing in america look if i'm a cop if i'm wearing a badge right now uh, and I see what just happened in Tulsa, among other things and other places. I, maybe we don't even bother making that traffic stop now, right? Because it could le- it could be a simple citation, and the guy's cooperative, or it could be a case where I'm fighting for my life and afraid to fight too hard, and I may get killed. So, I mean, are cops going to just sit back and let uh, and let things go? I wouldn't blame them if they did, Gary. I agree. I think that's
2: going to you know that that certainly plays into it. These guys hesitate just for an instant, and, and you wind up being shot or, or unfortunately killed. And, and that's what society seems to want. They don't want the police to do anything anymore. And, and, and these guys, nobody wants to be the front-page story or to be the, the guy that starts the next riot and, and, and puts other officers and citizens at risk because of their actions. So they're going to, I don't know, be soft-handed or just not not do what they need to do according to their training and it's going to get them into situations like this. And, and hopefully that wasn't it. But you know, I, I read the same, probably the same accounts that you read and it seemed like they were trying to do everything the right way. They, they tased the guy, he fought through the stager and he got out of the car and he pulled a weapon and he shot him. You know, it's, it's, it's again, these folks have been in this kind of stuff because we're not taking this serious. The country has protests for, for individuals that can get killed, but like, you know, we've talked previously, there's no protest, there's no marches when a, when a police officer gets killed. The people support the police don't come out and, and march down the street and shut down cities and communities when a, when a police officer gets shot. They may turn out for a funeral, which is commendable, and we certainly appreciate that, but there's no outcry.
1: Right. There's no outcry to change the behaviors in the community that led to the dead officer, which is what they do whenever a police officer acts inappropriately in a horrible way that Derek Chauvin did in Minneapolis. There's not an outcry to change that behavior. Um, Jay McDonald, uh, same question to you. Um, when, poli- cause, you know, again, this, is, this one resulted in shooting. Um, uh, there was another one that I saw just literally a couple of days ago and I can't recall the location but an officer was trying so gently to put two sides su- there were two suspects actually one had been cuffed he was in the process of trying to gently cuff the second one when um, uh, he, the guy decided I don't want to be arrested and so he turned around before he could get the second handcuff on and punched the officer in the face proceeded to to beat him into a bloody pulp essentially while he lay on the ground and everybody else stood around and videotaped it uh, because he was afraid. Afraid to use physical force to restrain this guy, uh, Jay McDonald. What do you say?
3: Well, anytime a law enforcement officer uh, doesn't follow his training and doesn't follow his instincts, he places himself in danger. And, and Gary and I are happen to be very close to uh, the leader of the Tulsa FOP, who uh, who tells me specifically that uh, officers in Tulsa are afraid to act because they don't know that they'll receive the backing. Of their of uh, of the elected leaders in that community because of past events and because of that um, you know that that very well may have led to the death of one of their own and and it is a scary time to be a police officer because uh, officers um, don't know the rules and whenever they don't know the rules that their reaction is to do nothing and that will only lead to more crime and uh, to more danger for the citizens. It's a, it's a terrible circle that, that we're in.
1: It, it goes beyond you know, just affecting arrests, guys. Uh, we're talking to Gary Wolski, the president of the Ohio FOP, Jay McDonald, the immediate past president of the Ohio FOP. Gary, it's not just in arrests um, that they have to be obviously very careful but need to be uh, as aggressive as they can to avoid getting shot or beaten. Um, but even in... in um, protest situations and i'm speaking specifically of what happened in detroit you probably saw this more protesters demonstrators i call them rioters i call them anarchists um surrounded a, a, a police cruiser it was actually an suv surrounded it and started banging on it the way they do so many civilians vehicles and the officer who was behind the wheel uh, said, not going to allow myself to be dragged out of here and beaten by this mob. Drove through it, knocked several people down in the process. Nobody was killed, but now protesters are demanding that the officer be fired and the chief of police, uh, James Craig, in Detroit be, uh, uh, be, uh, be 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 replaced or to resign. So, officers again, they're just supposed to accept assaults and threats to their persons and their and their vehicles, right? Bob, it's
2: open season on police officers, and, and you're seeing that with supposed elected leaders that are there to protect people, too, with with these defund the police things. You know, New York taking a billion dollars out of their police budget. You know, Minneapolis has the audacity to so say they want to defund the police and they don't want any police, and then the, the council people hire private security at, the, at a cost to taxpayers. That, that kind of stuff is just unacceptable. I mean, police officers need to have the backing of the elected officials and the leadership in their departments. And, and we've seen that problem in Columbus where, you know, it appears that on, on one hand, the mayor's telling them to do one thing. And then when something happens, you know, I didn't say to do that. And, and they've been feuding back and forth with, with him for a couple of weeks now in Columbus because, like Jay said, nobody knows the rules anymore. It's, it's just, it's open season. You can surround a person's car and. And it's even worse when they surround, in Columbus, they're surrounding the cars of just c- c- civilians driving around Broad and High, which is by by the Statehouse, and not letting people pass. Well, what about that individual's rights if they were on their way someplace? Don't, nobody cares about the individual rights of the person who's going about their daily business anymore. This has really gotten out of control,
1: Let's, uh, let's go further on what you just said about the defunding. You mentioned Minneapolis, and that, by the way, the council members who voted to defund police and to essentially erase their existence are indeed hiring pseudo police, uh, armed, badged security guards, um, who are guarding them and protecting them at around 60, last time I saw it was around sixty seventy thousand 70 thousand dollars, uh, of expense to the taxpayers. The hypocrisy there is just beyond anything that I can describe. But, Jay, um, specifically to one $1.5 billion being cut from the New York City Police Department budget. It's going to cost around 1,200 officers their jobs, or 1,200 uh, that would be coming in who will not be brought in now. Is it is it making the city safer to reduce the police force when violent crime is actually spiking over what it was a year ago because of all of the unrest?
3: Well, the, the job of government, the primary job of government is to protect its citizens, and, and just as you said, uh, shootings in New York have more than doubled uh, from January through June of 2020 compared to the same time frame of 2019. So obviously um, having 1,200 less officers doesn't make that community safer. It makes it less safe. And the, the commissioner of the police department said as much, but the politicians who have bent to the will of the loud, the loudest, uh, loudest, loudest in sight have decided that we're going to take $1.8 billion out of the New York City budget. But it's not just New York. It's Baltimore, who's had spiraling violence, has decided to have massive cuts to the police department. Los Angeles County Sheriff uh, is fighting against uh, hundreds of millions of dollars of cuts there as well because we decide we're going to take on an experiment and decide that we're going to try to replace police officers with recreation centers And social workers, and uh, while while those things serve a valuable purpose, they don't do the same job and provide the same protection to the taxpayer that law enforcement officers do. And uh, this experiment, I predict, will not end well for communities that decide to take it on.
1: We're talking to Jay McDonald and Gary Wolski of the Ohio FOP. Gary, I want to go back to you. Speaking, you know, he mentioned social workers or or whatever. In Los Angeles, Los Angeles County, they have passed a motion now. No, I'm sorry, not county. Los Angeles City Council has passed a motion to replace police with crisis response for what they deem to be, quote, nonviolent calls for service. Among nonviolent calls for service, they would say mental health crises, substance abuse, or neighbor disputes, I could take one second and Google or or search up mental health crises, substance abuse, and neighbor disputes that got violent. Uh, because people, when they are mentally unwell, it can be violent. people who are certainly um, you know uh, high or or in other, other ways impacted by substances get violent, and certainly neighbor disputes disputes get violent all the time. What are they saying they 're going to send they 're going to send unarmed so soci, uh, um, uh, social workers to uh, situations that they think won 't get violent you 've been on the force for how long? How many times have you seen violent situations like those
2: very often And you know what maybe that 's a good thing for police officers they won 't get hurt. They won't have to make these decisions and put themselves at risk. Neighbor disputes are an extremely volatile situation, as you know. We had one during my career in Garfield Heights over fireworks, and the, and, and, and the guy wound up killing a bunch of his neighbors, and that's probably 20, 30 years ago. It happens all the time, and like you said, a person that's mentally unstable has an illness. Social workers is not going to help them in the middle of their crisis when they're acting out in the street or in the neighborhood or in a store. and And obviously we know what some of these drugs do to folks they are, you know, when they're laced marijuana with PCP or fentanyl and, and all of this stuff. And we see it all the time. And, and Jay can tell you better because he's been around, you know, he's still active with this. But when officers and, and paramedics are Narcan these people, they come, out of the, they, they come out of their death, for lack of a better word, I guess, fighting because they're pissed because they lost their high, because somebody bothered to save their life because they overdosed. These are all violent situations, and if society thinks that social workers can handle that, I say let them go for it and see how it works out for them.
1: Well, you know, uh, you know, Jay McDonald. I would imagine the first time a social worker is shot in, an, uh, who uh, responds to a neighbor dispute so that he, that that person can mediate the the discussion between the neighbors, or shot by somebody who's drunk or or stoned or whatever, and maybe you know, maybe in that uh, very unstable state of mind or anything else that they're calling potentially nonviolent. What's going to happen when a social worker is shot or the neighbors shoot one another and the police never showed up to try to stop the situation? Will they get the uh Will they get the hint then? That-
3: well, I, I think it'll get dumped right back in the lap of law enforcement, um, which is how we got involved in these things to begin with. Social workers don't work 24-7. They don't work on weekends or Christmas morning uh, like law enforcement, and that's why we respond. But he- here's what's really going to happen. This isn't going to go to just social workers. Just so send a social worker and a law enforcement officer, and now we'll have to watch out for them and ourselves. It'll just make things even uh, more uh, more tricky. For cops, uh, I'd like to see the, the social workers get sent to a guy high on meth, punching himself in the face who's six foot three, two 250 pounds, and you have to go in and get him under control so he can get the help he needs. Um, who do they think responds to the inside of mental health wards of hospitals when it gets out of control? It's the police. So uh, it, people, it sounds good in theory, but you can't make it work. And, and the people who like to say it, like the slogan, but, but they have never once considered all of the options, or all of the ramifications for, for making such a drastic change in the way that our community works.
1: Gary, I'll wrap it with this. Um, Democrats in the State Senate of Virginia have proposed reducing from a felony to a misdemeanor the charge for assaulting a police officer. You earlier on said that police officers are, I forgot how you worded it, targets or in the crosshairs or whatever. What would this do if somebody didn't even have to worry about a felony going on their record if they assaulted a police officer?
2: I think it becomes open season. Now I don't have to worry about going to prison. Now I can just go to my local community jail, which are full, and nobody winds up in there anyway because there's no room for them. This is just another example of the disrespect that, that, that the leaders have for their police officers. How can you say that it's not a felony when you attack the very people that are out there to protect you? Like Jay said, the, the main goal of government is to protect their citizens. If you don't put a high value on the people that are doing that protecting, uh, I, I don't I don't understand the logic behind that. And it's just, it, it just allows people, well, that's no big deal because, you know, Misdemeanor, six months, maybe a thousand dollar fine. Who's going to get that? I'll get a slap on the wrist. I'll get probation, community control sanctions and I'll be on my way to go down the street and beat up another cop or assault another cop. Well, you know, famous. and, and
1: that's, that's part of it. You know, obviously the, the, the penalty would be lower, but because they wouldn't have to worry about a felony charge, I just wonder how many of these people are going to be even dealing with the misdemeanor charge. Because if the, if the deterrent isn't there, the deterrent of the felony isn't there, they're going to be more likely to assault these officers, get away, and never be caught. And and that you know, so so you you, and the general republic is then in more jeopardy as well. If somebody knows that I'm not going to face anything, if they do catch me anything serious, if I pop this guy and run, then more guys are going to get popped, and more more officers are going to be in danger. It's unbelievable that this would even be even more than
3: that, Bob. Even more than that, it shows a complete lack of respect for authority. That we no longer have to um, abide by the rules, and if we don't like the rules. We can punch the guy in the face who's trying to enforce the rules. It's a moral decline of our society to allow the punching of police officers in the face. Um, And who's going to do this job if if, if we're allowed to just get punched in the face? Um, We might be watching the, the downward spiral of our society.
1: There's no question about it. And by the way, even with it still being a felony, they're punching cops in the face. They don't care. If you make it a misdemeanor, it's going to multiply it by a factor of who knows what. Gary Wolski, Jay McDonald, gentlemen, thank you for what you do for our communities, and thank you for your time this morning. We'll talk to you again. Bob,
2: uh, thanks for everything you do for us. Appreciate thanks it, you, sir.
1: Nine fifty-three. We'll be right back. Uh, I'm not joking when I say what I said to Gary and to uh, to Jay, and I know they weren't either. We're, we're nearing the end. You understand that? We're nearing the end. The end of, of society and law and order and civility and civilization when we allow anarchists and criminals to establish the policies by which the good guys can maintain control and order. Democrats are moving to make assaults on police officers a simple misdemeanor rather than a felony. You couple that with officers being terrified to use physical force in restraining suspects for fear of brutality accusations, and you know what it's going to result in? Dead cops or severely injured and wounded cops, thousands of them every year, and criminals who do not fear using physical force to escape the cops and to even attack the cops because all they would face is a felony or is a misdemeanor if they are caught, then go free to commit more violent acts against, who knows, civilians, other cops. We're nearing the end. City councils, mayors, Governors are letting criminal organizations whose stated missions are to deconstruct the United States, organizations like Black Lives Matter and Antifa, they're letting them set the rules. (laughs) Man, I don't know where to go with that. If we take rules out of the equation and we empower criminal organizations to establish the new protocols for the law keepers, uh, we're, we're done. And it's happening before our very eyes. Criminal organizations are telling the elected officials how to establish Well, not law and order, but to essentially to erase law and order. And the elected officials are listening. That's nearing the end. Speaking of elected officials, the Speaker of the Ohio House of Representatives, Larry Householder, is going to join us to talk about some of this anarchistic behavior in Columbus, Ohio, and what can be done about it. He'll join us next on AM4.